From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon. Hope you had a fantastic weekend and welcome to this edition of Washington Watch. I'm Jody Heiss, the Senior Vice President here at the Family Research Council. I'm honored to be sitting in for Tony and extremely grateful to have you on board with us as well. Coming up on today's edition of Washington Watch, with Republicans on Capitol Hill finding more and more revealing information on the Biden family's foreign business dealings, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is now saying an impeachment inquiry into President Biden is a natural step. But now when you look at this, it looks like a culture of corruption that's been happening within the entire Biden family. You've got to get to be able to answer that to the American public. The American public deserves that answer. Who's lying? What information went on? Who paid? And what foreign governments? Well, of course, that was House Speaker over the weekend, uh, Kevin McCarthy on Fox Sunday's Morning Futures. So the question is, will there be accountability? Congressman Keith Self will be joining me to discuss that in just a few moments. I'll also talk to him about what House Republicans are doing to shed light on the Biden administration's cover-up over what happened two years ago in Afghanistan. You look at foreign policy, that was the beginning of the end. We started to project weakness when Afghanistan fell. That ugly surrender to the Taliban, that's what it was, a surrender. What's so sad for these parents is it could have been prevented and their child is dead now. Wow. Well, that was House Foreign Affairs Committee Chairman Michael McCall. What has the Biden administration been hiding? We'll be talking to Congressman Self about that as well. And some good news this week as laws in two different states protecting children from experimental gender procedures are going into effect. The law in Missouri goes into effect thanks to a ruling that was handed down Friday and Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey, who argued on behalf of that law, will be joining me a little later in the program to discuss that, which goes into effect today. And today also marks the 60-year anniversary since Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. delivered his famous I Have a Dream speech. I have a dream. That my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. A powerful speech indeed. I'll be joined by Dr. Carol Swain to talk about Dr. King's dream and how diversity, equity, and inclusion programs run counter to that dream. And then we'll wrap up today's show with uh, what one attorney general is doing in response to the crisis his state is facing. And folks, it's something that uh, is driving the left absolutely crazy. But today, I'm calling on a day of prayer, asking the Lord to send us a little rain, to bring our farmers, our ranchers, and those in the timber industry some relief. That was Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry who will be joining me a little bit later on the program. And then I'll also be joined by FRC's David Clawson to dive more into the results of a new worldview survey that was commissioned by the Family Research Council Center for Biblical Worldview. So we've got an extremely packed program coming your way. And as always, just a reminder, our website is TonyPerkins.com. 
So again, if you miss any portion of today's program, you can find it right there at TonyPerkins.com as well as a host of archived prob, uh, programs and at the same time tons of resources available there for you at the website TonyPerkins.com. All right, let's jump into the, today's program. Over the weekend, uh, we observed a very somber uh, anniversary. I don't know how else to say it. It was two years ago on Saturday that 13 service members were killed in Afghanistan during the Biden administration's chaotic withdrawal from that country. And on Friday last week, articles of impeachment against the defense secretary were introduced over his role in that botched withdrawal. So that adds to just a growing list of administration officials that Republicans are looking into for alleged wrongdoings. Well, the big question for the country is, are we going to see some accountability from all of this? Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is Congressman Keith Self. He serves on the House Foreign Affairs Committee as well as the Veterans Affairs Committee. He also gratefully served our country for 25 years in uniform before retiring with the rank of Lieutenant Colonel. He represents the 3rd Congressional District of Texas. Congressman Self, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to see you. Thank you, Jody. Good to be here. Well, let's uh, let's jump into the weekend and the anniversary of two years following the attack of Abbey Gate there in Afghanistan. Uh, give me some of your reflections. Well, the Biden administration has never been held accountable, has never admitted any responsibility whatsoever. You called it chaotic. I would talk, call it a strategic blunder of the highest order. Uh, that was a blunder that uh, immediately people around the world started taking note of. Putin started moving troops toward Ukraine within weeks of that uh, disastrous withdrawal. It was basically a surrender to the Taliban, and uh, 13 service members paid with their lives. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, uh, chaotic is what I said, but uh, listen, thanks for— uh, catching that, that uh, that is just hitting the tip of the iceberg. You right. indeed are correct. That is when the entire world took notice that the United States has weak leadership and Putin yeah. took advantage of it and so forth. But the Gold Star families here, Congressman, they, they've accused the Biden administration through all of this of covering up evidence that the Abigail bombing was preventable. And there have been multiple other reports of ways that uh, this administration has not been transparent. These families deserve better than what they're getting. Don't you agree? Absolutely, because I can think of two ways that this attack was preventable, to use your word. First of all, we now know that the bomber was released from jail just a couple of weeks before the bombing when the Taliban took control of the jail. One of the first things that happened was the Taliban released people out of the jail, and then we paid with it for 13 lives of our servicemen. The second is that we know, uh, we've heard testimony in the Foreign Affairs Committee that a sniper had the bomber in his sights, identified, everyone knew what he looked like. We had, uh, we had evidence of what he would look like. We had him in our sights. And the commander told the uh, sniper, I don't know who has authority to make that, uh, to pull the trigger. That is unconscionable, which means that they didn't understand their rules of engagement. And again, because uh, the chain of command was uncertain, didn't have absolutely tight rules of engagement, 
13 service members lost their lives. That's two ways that this bombing was preventable. Wow. Uh, I was not aware of that last one. Uh, that's that's stunning. Well, listen, you it mentioned is. the Foreign Affairs Committee, uh, and it's my understanding tomorrow the Foreign Affairs Committee is going to have a roundtable discussion with some of the family members uh, who lost their loved ones, uh, a family of these U.S. service members who were killed in the attack. What are you hoping is going to come out of that roundtable? Well, Mike Waltz, uh, the other Green Beret in Congress, uh, has dealt with uh, loss of service members throughout his career, and uh, he's the one that's leading this effort. And I hope that we hear from them exactly what they would like to know from the administration, because when a service member dies, our country used to provide them, to bend over backwards to provide them everything they needed, support, information, certainly to return their uh, their worldly goods. And I understand from Mike that they've returned their phones without the SIM cards, which means the families don't even have uh, the last remembrances, the last photographs. Uh, why is that? Why would you take the SIM card out of a phone from a service member that's died? I've never heard of such. That's a great question. Congressman Keith Self joining me right now. If I can switch gears, we there's so many different things to cover, but uh, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy highlighted yesterday how the GOP is uh, finding more and more and more revealing evidence of President Tr uh, Biden every week. Uh, what's your take on the latest of what's emerging in all of the findings? Oh, my goodness. There's so much to cover. Uh, excuse me. There's so much to cover. I mean, my goodness, uh, 20 shell companies, uh, 16 payments from Romania during while he was vice president. Uh, a new car and $3.5 million for following a phone call. I mean, we now know that nine members were taking money, and I've heard uh, through the committee that it may be as many as 12. I mean, the evidence is just overwhelming. Uh, the speaker is exactly right. It is now time to move to the next level, and that's an impeachment inquiry. And frankly, I expect that to happen soon after we get back in, uh, in session on 12 September. So do you see the impeachment inquiry at this point into uh, President Biden as something that, can we say, is inevitable? I would use that word, yes. I believe so. Uh, because even since we've been on uh, uh, August recess, uh, the, the committee has continued to work and has found more. Uh, so, I mean, it is, it is growing by the day. Uh, and I, be I believe that that's, uh, that's what we'll see, an impeachment inquiry, soon after we get back. You know, and it's not just President Biden here. I mean, there's, and, and with this, I mean, uh, those of us out here, we look at the GOP right now and say, thank you for doing your job. Uh, but in the process of doing your job, of course, there's a lot of criticism come from, coming from the left that the GOP has a growing list of administration officials that are just simply targets of the GOP uh, for impeachment inquiries. Uh, give me your response to all of that criticism. Well, we've talked about President Biden, but uh, we've talked before President Biden about Mayorkas because of the border, uh, uh, absolute dereliction of duty on the border. We've talked about Garland, uh, uh, Attorney General Garland, because he's the one that's actually covering up for Hunter Biden and the president. Uh, so I'm not sure which uh, 
which of the targets, as you call them, the impeachment inquiry will actually target. Uh, but uh, there is, uh, as we call in the military, a target-rich environment. <laughs> yeah, not to mention Lloyd Austin and the Secretary of Defense. I mean, it's just, it's like you've got a whole deck of cards, and it's uh, an eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Where do you start at this point? Listen, with our little time remaining, I want to get your thoughts on the latest regarding the Georgia indictment against President Trump and 18 others. What do you make of all of that? Well, to bar borrow a phrase from history, this is the mugshot heard round the world. Uh, this has backfired big time. They've raised uh, over $7 million since Thursday. Uh, it has now become a rallying cry. Um, I don't know if the uh, Georgia folks really uh, want to support uh, President Trump in his uh, second uh, uh, election, but uh, certainly looks like they're going to. Uh, and again, a mugshot heard round the world. That is a great word picture. I actually have not uh, heard that yet. And while you were saying it, I was found myself chuckling here because indeed it is the mugshot seen and heard around the world. Congressman Keith Self from Texas, always great to see you. Thank you for joining us on Washington Watch. Thank you so much, Jody. All right. Have a good week. Go get them. All right, friends, coming up, it's always great when we have some good news to share with you and to bring your way. And we do some good news this week, specifically regarding the protection of children from gender mutilation surgeries. How worse can it get than that? Stay tuned. Right after the break, I'll be joined by Missouri's attorney general who led the charge. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Today, more than ever, men need a reminder of what biblical manhood looks like and to understand God's good design for them, to serve as provider, instructor, battle buddy, defender, and chaplain. They need a battle plan to truly live out their role. Family Research Council's Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin and Dr. Keenan Kirtan's book, Strong and Courageous, a sequel to Man to Man, offers this battle plan so that men can pursue their God-given responsibility in a culture quickly turning away from God's design. The authors unpack the Old Testament book of Joshua as the focus of their study, asking readers to look to his leadership to help consider and apply the key principles of biblical manhood. It's time for men to accept their role in the family and community and truly embrace their God-given purpose. To order your copy of Strong and Courageous, A Call to Biblical Manhood, go to frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Again, that's frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be giving guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. 
Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Good afternoon and welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, filling in for Tony and thrilled to have you on board with us as well. All right, good news is always welcome here on Washington Watch and especially when it has to do with protecting the lives of vulnerable children, including those who are both born as well as those who are yet to be born. Well, this past Friday in Missouri, a St. Louis circuit judge declined a request to temporarily block a common-sense state measure to protect children from the harms of permanent and life-altering so-called transition surgeries, and it was a huge victory. The judge's ruling on Friday also meant that the state's law protecting children from gender transition surgeries goes into effect today. Joining me now to unpack this great news is the Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey himself, who fought this battle and was on the tip of the spear. Attorney General Bailey, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to have you again. Thank you so much for having me on. Great win in the fight to protect children here in the state of Missouri and across the United States of America. You're not kidding. And it goes into effect today. It's great to have you on the program on the very day that this goes into effect. Break down for us, if you would, the... uh, basic uh, the court ruling. What does it really mean, practically speaking? Well, you know, we've got a General Assembly who enacted a statute, a governor who signed it into law. It's Senate Bill 49. It stops puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones for kids under 18 and prevents uh, medical professionals from referring these kids to permanent surgeries that ended up with sterilized children. Uh, It creates a private cause of action for victims of this system and a 15-year statute of limitations so they have time to bring their claims against anyone who would harm kids in violation of the law. It also prohibits state taxpayer dollars from going to fund these kinds of procedures and prohibits uh, criminal offenders in Department of Corrections from receiving these kinds of treatments. And so this is a huge win to protect kids in the state of Missouri and provide sanity to our law. Uh, The governor signed it into law in July, and no sooner had he done so than Lambda Legal and the ACLU filed suit asking the court to issue an injunction stopping the law from going into effect. We demanded our day in court, tested their evidence, put it under the microscope, cross-examined their witnesses, put on our own evidence, and ultimately prevailed. And I think this is a winning strategy for other states to follow going forward. Well, I do too, and you've really led the way on this thing, and it's been it's been a great honor of ours here at FRC to kind of keep you keeping us informed as this whole thing has been progressing along. And the, the, I guess the big headline in all of this, obviously, is the protections that this offers children from these dangerous uh, surgeries. 
but you mentioned the tax side of things. Tell us how this specifically is going to affect Medicaid coverage of uh, transgender treatments for adults, not just for children. But uh, what, what are the tax implications of this? Well, it certainly prohibits taxpayers from having to fund these dangerous surgeries and irreversible uh, negative health consequences that result from administration of these drugs. I think people need to remember there are zero FDA approvals for puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones to treat gender dysphoria. There are zero clinical assessments showing that these irreversible surgeries are safe or effective in, in treating this illness. And why is it that, that they, the, the left wants to treat this mental health disorder differently? In no other context would it be okay to administer hormones in place of psychology and psychiatry to a mental, a mental health patient? And so why is this any different, especially when there's no medicine or science to back it up? And putting that evidence in open court was really critical to our case. And that's why we called an expert, internationally renowned and nationally renowned experts to testify to that effect. They also testified that kids who receive puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones uh, in treatment of gender dysphoria are actually more likely to commit suicide. And so the, the left's lie that this is somehow gender-affirming health care and that there are going to be more teen suicides as a result of this ban is nothing short of a lie. There's no health care about what they're trying to do. They're trying to sterilize kids, and we're not going to allow it in the state of Missouri. Man, that's awesome. I, I, I think I heard you also mention that this is going to extend to prisoners. Did you Did you say that? Yeah, that's right. And people can check it out. It's Senate Bill 49. Again, proud to live in a state where uh, our General Assembly and our governor have taken a, a policy position stand for what's right and, and against what's wrong. And we're going to defend it in court and proud to be the first state in the nation to successfully defeat a motion for preliminary injunction at the trial court level. There's a lot changing in the legal landscape on this. There's a lot changing in the national mood on this issue. I mean, even the New York Times just last week was uh, forced to acknowledge that many of the uh, allegations made by a whistleblower against a transgender pediatric clinic in St. Louis were proven to be true. And so when you've got the, you know, a left-wing uh, media organization that even has to acknowledge how uh, dangerous some of these clinics are to, to kids, I mean, the, the national mood is shifting in the legal landscape as well. I'd also point out that just last week on Monday, the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals also upheld an Alabama statute that's similar, finding that the state had a compelling interest in protecting kids. So this is putting fuel in the fire. We're going to keep fighting for what's right. That's right. Those two, both of these, these states, uh, Missouri and Alabama, leading charge on this. Uh, and, and I've got this here. But tell us about the uh, future litigation, how this impacts potential future litigation for patients who regret the gen uh, gender transition surgeries they may have had. Well, again, that was an important part of the case that we put on in court last week. We called detransitioners to the stand, victims of this system, victims who had been forced into this uh, machinery of, steril for, of sterilization and wanted them to tell their story about how they became victims and, and, and how they want to protect kids going forward and don't want other kids to have to undergo what they underwent. And, you know, the emotional side and the trauma of having to live a life sentence under this this, uh, th this machinery. And so that was really important to get into the public domain. And it's hard for the media to run from that. And, you know, I think that's really telling. Uh, I think that the legal strategy we drew up here is a winning play. We were able to coordinate with other state attorneys general, like-minded state attorneys general, uh, that have undergone the same legal challenge to their state statutes in the past and learn from them. They were able to tell us, hey, what worked, what didn't work, what would they have done differently? And we were able to weave that into a win winning litigation strategy that we can now hand off. This is a winning play drawn up that we want to hand off to other states. I think there are other states that were waiting in the wings to pass legislation to see how ours fared in court. And the, the fact that the court uh, declined the injunction, finally 
finding that the plaintiffs were unlikely to succeed on the merits and had no uh, no irreparable harm from this going into effect. And look at paragraph 10 of the court's order, where the court found that the science on this was contradictory and conflicting and raises more questions than answers. If that's true, then there is no national medical consensus that these uh, quote unquote treatments are safe or effective. Yeah, that's a that's an extremely important point. And I do agree, this is a model, and I, I hope that this is going to be used in other states. Real quickly, we've only got about uh, 20 seconds or so. What's the next step in this? Does this go anywhere else further, or is this done deal? Well, we're going to keep fighting to defend this bill. This is just a preliminary step. We're not going to get into the merits discovery. We want all the evidence that the other side has to justify their lunacy. We're going to put it under the microscope, put it to the test, disprove it, ultimately prevail and be successful. But as of today, it's a safer state because we're protecting kids here in Missouri. Senate Bill 49 is in effect because we were able to successfully defend it before. Attorney General Andrew Bailey, Missouri, thank you so much for joining us. All right, friends, coming up next, Dr. Carol Swain will join me to reflect on Dr. Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech, as well as DEI counter to that dream. Stay tuned. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six-week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org worldview. Again, go to frc.org worldview. Good afternoon and welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss. Glad to have you joining us today. All right, today marks the 60th anniversary of the iconic I Have a Dream speech that the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. delivered during the 1963 March on Washington. And while there's still obviously a lot of work to do, our nation has certainly come a long way. But the left, quite frankly, would like for us to believe that we're not moving forward at all. In fact, we're moving backwards with all of this. They claim that to ensure fair treatment, 
there needs to be in place DEI policies and programs. And I mentioned DEI before we took the break. Uh, for those of you who may not know, DEI stands for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. Well, my next guest is among many who disagree with the claim that we need DEI programs to make everything fair. In fact, she's written a new book that examines such programs and their impact on American society. So joining me now to talk about this is Dr. Carol Swain, the founder and CEO of Be The People Project and co-author of the book, The Adversity of Diversity. Great title. Dr. Swain, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you so much. Love the title. Love the title, and uh, this is a, boy, what a fitting day to talk about this issue. Uh, So to kind of get us kicked off, I want to go back and play a brief clip of Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech, and then I want to get some of your thoughts. I have a dream. My four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. What a powerful speech. All right, here Dr. King is talking about not being judged by the color of your skin, but by the content of your character. And now you and I are talking about DEI. Uh, Doesn't that just run counter to everything Dr. King was uh, putting forward? Yes, and also racial preferences. And the book, my new book, argues that um, the Supreme Court's decision to end race-based college admissions has implications for every DEI CRT program in the country because those programs violate the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and its extensions, as well as the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. And I believe that uh, the DEI programs that discriminate against whites and Asians, against males in competition with females, against sometimes heterosexuals in competition with um, homosexuals, Christians in competition with other groups. What DEI does is to divide people along racial and ethnic lines, and it is far more aggressive than the affirmative action that initially followed the passage of the Civil Rights Act. And and Jody, I'm sure you know that the uh, affirmative action in this country, it was not something that was passed by both houses of Congress and signed into law by a president. It was a series of executive orders. So, you know, let, let me let me just kind of put this because I think this is important for for you to be able to answer. No doubt, there's some people who are going to say and argue that you personally have benefited from affirmative action. So, and, and they, I, how, yes. how do you? Yeah, respond to that, please. I, I have a chapter. They need to buy the book because I grew up in an affirmative action-infused world. I was born in 1954. That was the year of the Brown v. Board of Education school desegregation case, but also the Civil Rights Movement. And so I was uh, 10 years old when the Civil Rights Act was passed. When I started college in the 1970s, affirmative action was all around. But I would argue that I benefited the most from the passage of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. I benefited from non-discrimination, 
equal opportunity and outreach. And I started my education at a community college. Uh, you did not even need a high school diploma to get into the community college. I had a GED. I made the dean's list a couple of times. I used the um, degree from the community college to get into a nearby four-year uh, college. And I graduated magna cum laude and, and then went on to Virginia Tech, got recruited to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And I would say I benefited again from non-discrimination, equal opportunity, and outreach. And there was a search for talented minorities. You had an equal opportunity to fail or to succeed. That's awesome. All right, so real quickly, uh, just, and you're, you're already there, but just how, how does ending affirmative action and DEI programs for that matter, how will that lead to improved racial relations? For one thing, uh, affirmative action programs don't operate the way people believe uh, that they do. And what has happened now has been lowered standards. Every racial and ethnic minority, minority no matter what they accomplish, they're told it's because of affirmative action. And I believe that non-discrimination, outreach, uh, that you can have diversity without discrimination. You can have diverse population without discriminating against any group. And for colleges and universities, the, the elite ones, they need to work more at the K through 12 level, uh, developing talented people. And right now, the affirmative action programs at our colleges and universities favorite immigrant children uh, over native-born minorities. They do not always seek the best and the brightest. They discriminate against people based We're on We're going to have to leave it there. <laughs> Real quickly, where can people get your book? Five seconds. It, it can be ordered from any major bookstore, and they can go through my website and, uh, and order from a Christian bookstore from Logos Books Nashville. And the All right, we got to end it right there. Dr. Carol Swain, thank you for joining us. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more. Are you prepared to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. Watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. Just go to PrayVoteStand.org. Again, that's PrayVoteStand.org. Tech censorship is on the rise. Big tech companies are attempting to cancel conservatives and Christians, which is why here at Family Research Council, we've decided to be proactive so that big tech cannot silence us completely. FRC has a text subscription platform to be sure we can continue to keep you in the loop. That way you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone. Just sign up for our text alerts by texting STAND to 67742. Again, you simply text STAND 
hand to 67742, and FRC will send you special alerts on the issues that matter to you. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. You'll have access to content that will help you continue to stand for faith, family, and freedom. And you'll know about opportunities to connect with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Finding a quality news source today in this media-saturated world can be incredibly difficult. It is important to stay informed on what is going on in the world, but you need a news source you can trust. That is why Family Research Council created The Washington Stand, an online news platform with a mission to provide readers with free, factual news stories and commentaries all from a biblical worldview. Based in Washington, D.C., our reporters provide reliable information on the most crucial issues of the day, ranging from breaking news on the hottest Supreme Court decisions to details on the latest public education stories, updates to domestic and international religious liberty cases, and more. We want you and your family to stay informed on what is happening in the world that affects faith, family, and freedom. Be encouraged, be in the know, and stand firm in truth by visiting WashingtonStand.com today. That's WashingtonStand.com. FRC, celebrating 40 years with Ken Blackwell. The Bible teaches us that those who would do evil love the darkness. It also teaches us that we each have a light and we're not to hide that light under a bushel. The FRC team not only uh, doesn't hide its light under uh, a bushel, we put our lights together and we rush the darkness. We punch holes in the darkness of our time. Congratulations to you. Keep up the good work. One awesome man and one incredible leader. Thank you, Ken Blackwell, for those comments. And it's an honor to serve alongside you and shoulder to shoulder with you here at FRC and beyond. Friends, we hope you will likewise come join us September 15th through 17th in Washington, D.C. at this year's Pray, Vote, Stand Summit as we celebrate not only 40 years but we look forward to how we are going to continue standing for faith, family, and freedom. Registration is open now. We encourage you to not miss this opportunity, this life-changing opportunity at this upcoming summit. Registration is open. Go to prayvotestand.org for more details and how to register. That's prayvotestand.org. All right, while there are many crises Uh, that we've been watching hit our country. And many of those crises, no doubt, can be attributed to some of the actions and policies coming from the Biden administration. But there are some crises that don't point back to the White House. And what's happening in Louisiana is one of those. It's been reported that New Orleans is nearly 20 inches below average rainfall so far this year. That's an enormous amount of Uh, shortage. Reports are indicating that almost 44% of the entire state is in a drought and another 33 plus percent of Louisiana is abnormally dry and on the verge of entering a drought. Well, so in the midst of this time of need, the state attorney general knows who to appeal to. And here to share about his initiative and more 
is Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry. Attorney General Landry, great to see you again. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Yeah, always great to be with you, Jody. Great to see you. Thank you for what you've been doing. Uh, we really appreciate it. You know, Louisiana has traditionally always been blessed with plenty of water. We've had our, certainly our natural disasters have afflicted. We normally are praying, and many people who are watching today probably prayed this year to spare Louisiana from hurricanes over the last Six years, we've been ravaged by storm after storm. In some years, we've had four. Uh, and so, you know, people got on their knees and we prayed and asked the good Lord, please don't send us a, a hurricane, which he hasn't done so far. But now we just need a little bit of rain uh, in a state that, again, has been blessed with water. Our farmers are absolutely suffering. Uh, you know, Louisiana is a huge agricultural state. Uh, both timber and corn and wheat and cotton and sugarcane and rice. Uh, and as we know, our food always needs some water uh, to help those plants grow. And so as it just got worse and worse, and we could see it just seemed like uh, there's going to be no end. I, you know, I did what my mom always taught me. is that when you just at wit's end, there's only one power out there that can deliver what you need. And so we decided to call on a day of prayer asking the Lord to just give us a little rain. Uh, you know, we've been having wildfires in Louisiana. We haven't had that kind of problem in decades. Uh, and so we really need some relief. All of those who have been battling and subduing those fires, the firemen, the police officers, the volunteers. And uh, and so we just called out on a day of rain, saying a day of prayer for, for rain. Well, it's powerful when government leaders recognize that we are one nation under God, and we need to appeal to God uh, for uh, the the issues that are facing our time. And no doubt, uh, Attorney General, th this this has made the left, I, I mean, they've, they've got to go crazy when you actually appeal to God for help. Uh, but how did this come about? Was this um, a group of you talking about this, or how did this prayer initiative uh, really uh, come forth into a call for a day of prayer? Well, actually, I, I was traveling the state. I'm running for governor in the state of Louisiana, and so I've been traveling the state a lot and went up to central in north Louisiana last week. In fact, I'm back here now. Uh, and in visiting with ranchers, I went over to a cattle auction and realized that they weren't just auctioning calves. They were auctioning off whole herds and mama cows. And and, and I realized the severity of the drought at that particular Point in time, and then we started seeing the wildfires uh, in in the big forests that we have in central and north Louisiana start to take hold. And and again, look, you know, I, I I'm not I I I understand more than anyone else that sometimes you got to call on an absolutely higher power to say, hey, we could need some relief here, Lord. Could you just help us? And and I tell some folks, you know, sometimes I believe. It's situations like that in which the Lord reminds us how much we actually need him. And there was no doubt someone texted me and said, hey, why don't we have a, a, a day of prayer? And so we got on it right away. We put a press release out this morning, put an entire prayer up uh, on our official website. I'm sure that that'll cause some people's hairs to catch on fire, but that really doesn't bother me. I've always relied uh, on the faith that I have and, and, and the powers that are much higher than us in government. Uh, to give us at least the direction and answers that we need in order to lead our state and to lead our country. 
Well, I am calling on the entire FRC family all across this nation, Attorney General, to join with you and to join with others in Louisiana in asking God to send rain. May the good hand of God be upon you and your great state, and may you see rain in the near future. And FRC family from coast to coast, I'm asking you to join with us in uh, this prayer initiative for water in the state of Louisiana. Thank you, Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry. Always great to see you. Thank you for your leadership, and thank you for joining us on Washington Watch. Well, thank you, Jody. And those blessings will come back to everyone that prays for Louisiana. We'll pray for you. Thank you so much. God bless you, my friend. All right, last week, Family Research Council's Center for Biblical Worldview released the results of an extensive survey on the views of adult churchgoers in America on social issues and worldview. We talked about some of this last week, but uh, there's just so much to deal with. Uh, we, We just wanted to dive deeper into it. And so we have joining us now the director of FRC's Center for Biblical Worldview, David Clawson, and uh, we've just we want to dive further into it. So, David, thank you so much for joining us. As always, it's an honor to have you on the program. Hey, thanks for the invitation to be back, Jody. Great to be with you. Well, likewise, and I just heard uh, there are a lot of people who are interested in the conversation we had late last week, and so just uh, we felt like we needed to continue this. Uh, so the the survey that we're talking about, there were several questions that dealt with life issue, uh, and that's where I want to focus our attention today, if we can. Uh, what stood out to you from the survey regarding life? Yeah, great question, Jody. And again, one of the things I think that's so uh, insightful about this survey is that unlike maybe other national polls that will just ask a lot of people questions and then ask if they identify as a Christian, uh, we actually wanted to know what uh, the devout churchgoers of this country actually believed. And so you had to attend, uh, actually attend church to be included in the survey. And of those who took our survey, uh, 72% uh, attend weekly and the other 28% attend monthly. So again, this is giving us real insight uh, into what the nation's most devout churchgoers believe about a whole host of issues. Specifically, we ask a lot of questions, like you said, about life and the value, uh, the value of life and abortion. And so I think a couple things briefly, Jody, that stood out to me is that when we ask people where do they get their uh, views on life, uh, where do they decide where they stand on abortion, uh, 71% of Christians told us that it was their moral and religious beliefs uh, that primarily influenced how they thought about the issue of abortion. Uh, 11% of people said they thought about it primarily as a political or policy issue. 11% additionally said that they kind of took their cues from uh, public opinion. Uh, 8% admitted that they didn't know what they, uh, where they were getting their influence on the question. But again, uh, 71% of regular churchgoers said it was their moral and religious beliefs that primarily guided them. And, and another thing I'll give you, Jody, is uh, how many of folks told us Uh, that they desired uh, for their church to actually address this issue in a Sunday morning service. 
It was actually 70% of people told us uh, that they desired additional teaching uh, from their pastor or for their leaders. Uh, of that 70%, 44%, so again, 44% of devout churchgoers said it was very desirable for them uh, to receive additional instruction uh, from the pulpit and from their leaders on how to think about the life issue. Well, that's stunning information. And, you know, it's, you know, we have so many different issues, David, that we're dealing with from, from marriage issues, now the transgender issues, to, uh, I mean, even economic issues that are addressed in the Bible. There's so many different issues out there. But probably the centerpiece is life. And what it sounds to me, what I'm hearing, is that the majority of these active churchgoers are basically saying that their pastors are not addressing even the issue of life. Is, is that reading too much into this, or are they not addressing it enough? How would you describe this scenario? I think the second part, the way you put that, Jody, is maybe they're not addressing it enough. So again, we ask, uh, how often in the last 12 months have you heard a sermon about abortion or the value of human life? And when it came to evangelicals, uh, 41% of evangelicals specifically told us that they had heard a sermon in the last 12 months on the abortion issue. And so go back to the stat I just gave you, Jody. If, again, 71% of regular churchgoers say that their conscience and the way they think about abortion is primarily formed uh, by the church, and yet only 41% of evangelical pastors are regularly preaching on it, not even regularly, just once a year, to me that shows that a, a, a huge segment of evangelicals, they desire the church to teach them about abortion and the value of human life, but they're not getting it. So again, a lot, some are doing it and doing it well, uh, but many are not. And again, <laughs> As someone who has studied this issue deeply, you know, the, the Bible could not be more clear, whether it's Luke 1, Psalm 139, there's a thus saith the Lord on the value of the unborn person. And our, again, people are around the country, Jody, who regularly go to church, they are hungry for this instruction. Yeah, and I, is it fair to say, it sounds to me like these same people would be saying, not just the issue of life, we want to hear a biblical worldview taught from the pulpit. What does the Bible have to say about the issues of our day? Again, is that reading too much into this survey? I know we're, you're, we're specifically talking about the issue of life, but it sounds to me that from the response of these people, they want to know how biblically to respond to the issues that are happening in our culture including life, absolutely, but they want to know what does the Bible have to say to me about how to be a Christian and how to respond in the midst of turbulent times. No, Jody, you're absolutely right. So two stats I can give you from the survey is it was actually 79% of these regular churchgoers, so almost 8 out of 10, uh, told us they wanted more biblical worldview instruction on social and political responsibility. So you know, almost 80% specifically saying they, they actually want more uh, widespread, deep, uh, robust biblical worldview training on social and political responsibility. And on another issue you just mentioned, that the number actually is 68%, so again, almost 70%, saying that they desired uh, their church to teach more on the sexuality issues, uh, which again, 
Uh, you don't have to, it doesn't matter where you get your news from today, Jody. Uh, we know that these issues are being talked about all over the place in the public square. And so, again, one of the encouraging things from this survey for me was how many devout Christians are, are really just crying out. I, I view this survey almost as a, as a, as a plea from uh, churchgoers, Jody, uh, that they, they want more training. They're, they're grateful for the training that they've been receiving, but they really want more training on how to biblically think through the issues that they're dealing with uh, in the public square. All right, we're talking with David Clawson, FRC's director of the Center for Biblical Worldview. All right, David, let me let me ask you this, and we got to wrap up just over a minute or so to go. We don't want to just identify weaknesses in the church. All right, we want to come to the table and provide some solutions as well. So, what are some of the the, the resources that the Center for Biblical Worldview has produced to help both pastors and church attenders? Uh, but to help pastors preach about the life issue and other issues and to help the church attender have a solid biblical worldview. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so again, Jody, things about this survey are encouraging. I think one stat I wanted to make sure I said is that 63% identify as pro-life, 22% uh, identify as pro-choice. So again, I think there's evidence that Christians are thinking biblically about these issues, and we want to help with that. So if you go to frc.org forward slash worldview, uh, we have a biblical worldview series uh, that addresses political engagement, religious freedom, uh, human sexuality. Uh, Introduction to Worldview is the latest installment in that series. Uh, you can view all these for free in PDF form online. It's, I think, $2 for a, a paper copy if a church wants to get some. Uh, so frc.org forward slash worldview all the resources that FRC's Center for Biblical Worldview has produced to try to help all of us uh, think together more biblically about all of these issues. Thank you so much, David Clausen, Director of FRC's Center for Biblical Worldview. Great survey, great information, and thank you for sharing it with us. Thank you, Jody. All right, friends, that wraps up this edition of Washington Watch. Have a fantastic remainder of your evening. And we'll see you tomorrow, same time, right here on Washington Watch. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.